Thank you for joining us for our special edition of Diesel Performance Podcast, sponsored by Calibrated Power, Duramax Tuner, Exergy Performance, and Whirly Custom Fabrication. Uh, guys, today it is a really special episode. We got on the chief engineer of Ram Heavy Duty, Rod Romain. Uh, it's a really, really cool interview that we actually recorded last week. Uh, so Chris Emke and Nick Pregnitz joined me, of course, for the interview. And the four of us uh, with Rod all talked about the 2019 Ram Heavy Duty. Now, we're going to be bringing you that episode in its entirety here in just a moment. But real quick, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsors. Uh, this week, I wanted to feature Exergy for their awesome, awesome high-pressure fuel uh, system modifications. So really what it comes down to is when we run injectors, when we run CP3s or CP4s, anytime we're doing something with a truck's fuel system, we get all of our parts from Exergy. And that's because we we trust their quality, we trust their performance. We know that we're going to get a consistent product, an excellent product every single time. And that's really what we love about them. Uh, so if you're looking for Exergy products, you can actually contact Duramax Tuner or Calibrated Power uh, or any of the Exergy retailers out there. And then Worley Custom Fab. You guys know that we've always had a great relationship with Jason Worley and the whole team over there. Um, the, the All the Worley brothers, I think at this point, have been on the show. A uh, ways back, Chris and I and our producer, Justin, had a chance to go over to Worley and check out his entire operation. And then we broke that operation up into some different sound bites. Uh, so that way you guys would get a chance to kind of hear what it was like to walk through that facility throughout the year. Now, we are reusing these sound bites, so you may hear them a few times. Uh, but what's really cool is that overall, at the end of it, uh, we're going to produce the whole episode and walk you guys through the entire operation in one day. But for right now, here's a quick uh, taste of what it was like to go hang out at Whirly Custom Fab. We've, uh, we've definitely learned and learned what works and what doesn't work. Um, you know, as Chris mentioned, there's many different gauge thicknesses out there, and there's a lot of companies out there that, that sell intercooler pipes um, that shouldn't go on diesel trucks, in my opinion. Uh, they might work fine on a gas or application, making that 15 or 20 pounds of boost. But... You know, one thing, for example, is we'll, we'll talk about aluminum piping. Um, aluminum is nice because you don't got to worry about any any sort of rust on the inside of the pipes. And in some applications, you could just put the pipe on your vehicle raw. You don't even have to powder coat it, even though most people would like to. Um, and we use all sorts of materials. We use stainless. We use mild steel. We use aluminum. And, you know, as of lately, we're actually converting a lot of product over to aluminum, but we're not using the, the standard as most people have in the past of 16 gauge. The problem with 16 gauge aluminum and high boost applications is you go to put your T-bolt clamp on your silicone boot. And I know, I don't think anyone, I don't think I've ever seen anyone. And I know none of you probably do either put a torque wrench on your T-bolt clamps. You just crank them down. Right. <laughs> and when you're cranking down a T-bolt clamp, you're going to crank that sucker down until it stops cranking. And or, the it, problem or, it, with, or it blows out. Or it blows out. <laughs> or you strip it out. I mean, you want to keep your boost in. You don't want your boots blowing off. You know, obviously the bead rolls are there and that's important. But the issue with some of the thinner gauge aluminum, aluminum is obviously much softer. Um, you start cranking on that T-bolt clamp and it essentially will, will dent or cave in the pipe and essentially cause a boost leak, cause the boots to blow off. So what we've, what we've done recently with a lot of our product, um, uh, A for weight savings, and B for uh, rust for prevention is we, we've changed a lot of uh, intercooler piping over to aluminum, but we're not using 16 gauge, we're using 14 gauge. Okay. It's thicker and you're not gonna concave it. I mean, numerous occasions, numerous sizes, um, 
before going in the oven, after going in the oven, because uh, aluminum can be annealed and become soft and hard through different processes, uh, you will strip out a T-bolt clamp before you ever cave in or dent one of our intercooler pipes from tightening the clamp too much. So it's, it's a lot of, it's just like we mentioned earlier, um, you know, improving upon older product and just making things better as we go along and as we learn things. Um, you know, so, so the cost savings, aluminum is going to be a cheaper uh, material for us to buy versus say stainless steel. Stainless steel is your top tier, most expensive material you're going to buy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's tough shit, but it's going to raise the price of all this product that is already very expensive. Sure. Um, so we're able to keep prices the same or potentially even drop prices and offer you a, a better, longer lasting material that's not going to fail under these high boost applications that these trucks see. All right, guys, now that you're back, here's what you've been waiting for. Here's the full interview with the chief engineer of Ram Heavy Duty, Rod Romain. Thank you for joining us for a special edition of Diesel Performance Podcast. I'm in the booth today with Chris Emke and Nick Prignitz. And we have on the line a very special guest, somebody who, if you've been doing any research over the 2019 Rams, you've surely come across. Uh, We have the chief engineer of Ram Heavy Duty, Rod Romain. Rod, how the hell are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, Listeners, today we have on Rod so we can talk pretty much exclusively about the new 2019 Rams. Currently available, uh, we've seen a few of them here in the shop over at Calibrated Power and Duramax Tuner, but we wanted to dive into some of the stock specs today. Uh, Rod, usually when we have somebody on the show, we ask about their background in diesel. I had a chance to kind of scroll through your bio, and you have a pretty extensive history just being around engineering horsepower in general, huh? Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I started at an engine plant years ago. I spent time with Viper, um, spent time with truck. For a long time, actually worked uh, very closely with Cummins for some time, and and back on truck. So, either been uh, as you point horsepower or truck for most of my career. <laughs> I saw. Did you have a stint there working on releasing the forty five hundred and fifty five hundred with Cummins? I did. Yeah, that was you know with the truck. We had pretty much throughout my career. It's either been uh, spent time with Dakotas half tons quarter tons of class four and five so pretty much if it's uh, had a ram badge on it i was part of it <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of testing throughout that time and that's something that i wanted to kind of kick off today's show with because i think we've talked about what does durability and reliability really mean in the real world uh, as i was going through and kind of checking out some of the stuff there you guys have a pretty extensive just testing procedure to really say what durability means yeah, we do. And, you know, and a lot of the videos, I mean, they're quick, you know, two or three minutes. So it's a, a small snapshot at very high level. But you know, between the dyno testing that's done on, you know, early concepts before it even goes into a vehicle, then the vehicle testing, you know, and the vehicle testing is not only at our closed facilities, right, but geographically, you know, all the way up into Alaska, Minnesota, Florida, you know, Vegas. Uh, Colorado for altitude. I mean, that testing goes on for months before a, before a new vehicle even comes out on the road. So it's very extensive. Yeah, we got the sense of that in in one of the uh, YouTube videos that was out there. You you mentioned made the mention of uh, over a million or millions of I can't remember which it was, but millions of customer equivalent miles. You called them. Now, yep. can you give us a, an idea of what you know 
how, how do you gauge these customer equivalent miles? Who's putting the miles on? Like, yeah. Talk. So how we do that 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 whole process the 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 drive cycle that we drive is not truly representative of any not a real customer. We take take survey data. We take the worst driving habits and the worst driving conditions of multiple customers. So you're surveying customers together <laughs> to make it. It's an imaginary customer. Okay. Um, in the drive cycle it creates is something that, that you know the human the human test drivers it's almost it's borderline uh, abusive to them but that's uh that's why i can say there's a special place in my heart for those guys because they get pounded pretty good <laughs> i saw some of those where the the pothole roads in the in the michigan cold with a full full gooseneck behind you man god it, bless them it literally <laughs> sounds like they monitor chris emke and then just copy his driving my, for a month or my two. eyes were bulging and i was like okay i see where this is going <laughs> Now, there's been a, a ton of new stuff that came out with the 2019s. We're, we're not looking at, at a, a rebranding or a remodeling, but, but it is a whole new face on it and a lot of new features throughout the truck. Um, I wanted to dive into what I, I found I thought would be the most boring, but came out surprisingly with a lot of cool stuff, and that was the interior and exterior. And obviously, we're yeah. performance podcasts. We usually talk about the power first, but there was some cool stuff in there, man, some stuff that, uh, Nick, I know you're going to love. Did you, did you look at any of this 12-inch screen, uh, upgraded audio system? I'm sold. I want one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they put the spec. I feel like they put the specs out there to get you in, you know, 1,000 foot-pounds and all this capability. And, I mean, how many guys really use that, right? But you go for the test drive, and you're in the cabin, and you're just like, oh, <laughs> this is yeah, nice. If you, if you get in the truck, you're, you're sold. It, it was. Between, yeah, between the features and the comfort and the quietness, the performance, the refinement, you know, it's it's a new truck in the aspect, right? It obviously looks new, a lot of new features, a lot of new content. You know, the underpinnings are architecturally very similar, but everything we touched, there was a push for refinement to everything. So somebody may say, oh, they just put a new front end on it, but that's, that's, not, uh, well, that's not a fair assessment of the truck because we refined a lot of components, features, and attributes for the truck. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Um, I can I can say here at Calibrated Power we have we have all the big three trucks here. We have GM, we have Ford, we have Dodge, um, or Ram. I'm sorry. Um, it, and driving the, the previous generation Cummins powered trucks, you knew we were in a Cummins powered truck. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a question for you about the NVH. You made a few comments on some of the other videos about uh, NVH and refinement and trying to get the uh, the noise down. Do you have any statistics yeah. on what you guys were able to achieve there? You know, it, it, it was it was about making. I mean, we the diesel noise. We we like the diesel sound. Um, the goal was to just turn down the volume. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, between the improvements to the engine, and there were actually you know there were structural improvements to the chassis and the engine mounts to also help isolate noise translation into the cab. That makes but sense. But then with the acoustic glass that we put in the cab, it, it equated to like a 10 dB improvement in the cab. Wow. That's um, significant. Yeah. So, that, you know, that's for, for those that aren't familiar with that. That's like the, the cheapest dishwasher you can buy to the most expensive. <laughs> so that kind of puts it in perspective. I thought you were going to make a 12-valve joke for a second. <laughs> <laughs> what? I can't hear you. <laughs> Uh, I thought something else that was cool that kind of caught my eye was the lights. So the brightest yep. in class LED lights and also adaptive. So they turn when you turn. So yeah. so you can't overrun the lights, Chris. Yeah, 120 around a corner, right? <laughs> um, 
No, I, I, I thought some of this stuff was really cool. Also, you get power step bars from the factory. Yep. What? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, power step bar install. Two guys sitting in my booth right now. Yeah, uh, taking, five, taking some lessons from the aftermarket. <laughs> would would have preferred to bought it that way, right? Yeah, yeah I would have. <laughs> uh, I I did want to point out here: steel bed, steel cab. Uh, yep. Some of the other guys in the truck market are starting to to look at different materials when it comes to making up some of that stuff. What was the motivation there to kind of keep keep with the traditional steel bed, steel cab? You know, a lot of the, I mean, when we focused on weight, every part we changed, we looked at the opportunity to optimize for weight. So the the hood this year on the heavy duty is aluminum, um, but we increased the use of high strength steels. Um, so we were able to, in some cases, down gauge by going to a higher strength. And we were able to meet our payload targets and our towing targets and still maintaining the steel within the, the body and the, in the box. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. 25 pounds go into an aluminum hood. Wow. Yeah, well, the, the, the 27 pounds overall was the overall body saving. So oh, that gotcha. was 27 pounds after we added content because we added the automatic grill shutters which okay. was an aero improvement, right? That was uh, that got us to an 8% improvement in aerodynamics, um, which re- resulted in a .409 CD. So, so our coefficient of drag, we're not the smallest, but we go through the air the best. So that's so an interesting the, point you bring the up. The grill shutters helped with that, additional front-end sealing. So like I said, everything we touched, we looked for an opportunity to optimize it and refine it. So on the grill shutters, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I think it's interesting to note that because as the manufacturers continue to go to more and more power, more and more torque, more and more capability, we start to see these cooling <coughs> systems that are just monsters, you know, and they take up so much space and they create a lot of drag. And so, so these grill shutters, can you, can you talk to our, um, to our listeners kind of about how they work and what their functionality is when they're open, when they're closed? Yeah, so the grill shutters are basically said like a set of blinds over the radiator. Um, when you don't have the need for the cooling, because the radiator is, is pretty substantial, right? 850 or 1,000 mil radiator, so it's a large radiator. But when you're idling down the road empty, you don't need full cool, full airflow through the radiator. Um, so at that point, the shutters are closed, just like you'd close a set of blinds on a window. And then the air goes around the front of the truck for improved efficiency. But when you're towing 35,000 won up a hill, put to the floor, and it's 120 degrees out... <laughs> Those shutters will open. They probably open before that, but they'll open up, allow full airflow through. Um, it allows you know the air to come through the radiator. Of course, there's the fan behind there pulling everything through, but it basically allows us to control the airflow to when we need it, and then when we don't need the airflow to redirect it around the vehicle. I think of it like a like variable vane technology for your grill. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, more or less, yeah. Uh, one of the things that I thought was cool, so the front end actually got designed around the size of the cooling system. Uh, to where yeah. it actually had to go larger, had to go to a different shape. It's not a facelift. It, it was a, again, like you said, it's, it's a practical design. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was function over form in that case. Um, you know, and when we when we went to our design team and said, "Hey, here's I, I need a thousand mil radiator up front." At first, I think they thought it was just a bad joke because <laughs> um, it presented some design challenges relative to even starting at the body structure. I just NVH behaviors of the front end of the truck so we had to redesign all of that structure we had to, to modify the nvh characteristics to get the lateral stability and the shake stability so that the front end of the truck was still stable and then the the room that was left was what we had to package our headlamps in 
so you know, <laughs> to get the the AFL headlights, you know, that actually turn with the performance of the headlights, that was a, a real packaging challenge to stay within the width constraints of the vehicle. So it presented a lot of unique challenges, but at the end, it was if this is the number we're going to go with, and this is the towing we're going to go with, these are the requirements we have to have, and we're going to have to build the truck around it. Absolutely, and yeah. part of building the truck around it was getting into the frame and the chassis and the suspension, and I noticed a lot of really cool features in there. Uh, can you talk to the frame and, and some of the cross members and things like that that you guys upgraded for this model? Yep, I mean, it started at the front, and again, everything was about optimization for design, you know, for weight, um, for NVH, like the engine cross member, the way that design was done and the natural frequency of that cross member was designed to help isolate um, NVH from the powertrain. You know, each cross member going down, if there was an opportunity for weight reduction, we did so. Uh, the radius arms on the front axle, uh, there's holes in the side. So that was because through the, the analysis, we were able to add steel to those radius arms where we needed the strength, but remove it where we didn't. Now, there was a lot of comments that, you know, that's going to allow mud to, to flow in there and cause corrosion. Number one, they're galvanized, they're e-coated, and all the testing we did, the mud actually washes out because the water can actually get in and wash the mud outward before it laid in there. Okay. So, oh, shit. But then as you move back on the chassis, you know, the, the increased use of high-strength steel. So we were able to actually improve the capability of the frame to meet the, you know, the tow numbers that we've got. But average weight reduction on the frame was still 31 pounds. So, you know, we can tow the 35.1 with the gooseneck hitch structure. The rear tag hitch on the 2500 is 20K, and the 3500 is 23K. You're able to make enhancements for the ride. You know, the frequency damping shocks that basically are two shocks in one, so you can hit the speed bumps and, and it doesn't jar you, but yet it provides the damping over the high frequency stuff. So. Again, the front to back was, you know, increased efficiency, increased capability, increased comfort, um, seat pillar hydro mounts, um, so you don't get that, you know, the shake and the, and the shock up into the cab. So, again, for just improved overall ride and comfort. Yeah, yeah, the level of refinement there is, is nice to see. <clears throat> While we're on the topic of the suspension and the frame, I want to go back to the rear end and the rear end mounting. In the uh, looks like you guys have three options right now for, for rear suspension. Uh, the coilover, the airbag with the four-link, and then the airbag with the leaf spring. Uh, is that right, Rod? Yeah, so, I mean, with the 2500, you've got two. You've either got the steel coil, uh, four-link suspension, or five-link in the rear, um, or the air. And okay. then in the 3500, you've got the straight Hotchkiss <coughs> leaf, where you've got the kind of the hybrid system of the Hotchkiss leaf with, with the airbag on the 3500. Can you so technically, there's okay. kind of four because the air suspensions are air and steel on both, <coughs> but obviously 2500 to 3500 is architecturally a different suspension. Yeah, we've got the air suspension in both of our Rams here at uh, at Calibrated. They're both the four link or the five link uh, air suspension. I haven't had a chance to see the airbag on Leaf um, in the Ram. Can you talk to our listeners about when you know? When to choose one, when to choose the other, what's the break? I mean, wh how would you coach somebody through you know, checking a lot the option boxes? Yeah, the bonuses of the um, the air suspension is the self-leveling, right? If, you've, if you're near pulling a trailer and if you spend a lot of time trailering in different trailers or just even you know, a lot of payload, um, the air suspension with the trailer allows you to self-level it. 
with the alternate trailer height, you can lower the truck because right, it'll adjust for the payload and it'll actually maintain the positive brake. When you use the alternate trailer height, you can lower it down so you can get your truck and trailer in a nice level plane, um, which is just good for, for you know overall trailering and dynamics. Stands. Yep. But also within that, you know, you've got the, with the 2500 with the full air in the rear, you can actually get going to bed lowering mode. And if you, when you unhook your trailer, you can lower the truck down, you can back under the gooseneck ball, raise the, the truck back up, and then you can minimize the amount of turns on the crank to just a few turns as opposed to, you know, standing there for three minutes turning the crank. Oh my God! After this past <clears throat> weekend, being at a I show, took advantage of on the trailer. I took advantage of it, it the whole time in the fifteen. Of course, so nice. It's so nice. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> the self, really yeah, the nice. bags with the leveling is nice. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so when would so the the leaf spring with bag that would only be on the on the thirty five hundred. Correct. Okay. Okay. And yeah, and, the, and with the thirty five hundred, you know that the the air suspension it, again the self leveling feature is the nice part about that because. When you're hauling the, the the heavy trailers or the heavy payload, you can maintain that that positive rake or the level scenario with a trailer. And it just yeah. makes setup with your trailer easier. And if you've got multiple trailers, the variability there it just makes things a lot easier. I gotta ask you the obvious question, which is why why no four link on the thirty five hundred with the airbag? Um, part of the you know when you've got a thousand foot pounds, um, and you've got that much torque, and you've got that much payload. Um, the air suspension does a great job at, at uh, providing the load, you know, the load, carrying the load, but that leaf spring is a little bit more stable for axle wind-up and, and things like that. All right. Just for an internal debate that we were having about, uh, you know, <laughs> how nice the four-link is that we don't have to put traction bars on the high-performance trucks. It seems to, they don't yeah, seem the to wheel spring, hop. It's like, the leaf spring actually ends up being a traction bar in the rear. If you look at the design on the, the leaf with air, that lower leaf is actually more or less a traction bar. Okay. That's oh, wow. awesome. Uh, all right. Well, man, let's let's get into the fun stuff here. So the new base unit comes out 370 horsepower, 850 pounds. There's a lot of upgrades in that, but those upgrades also translate over to the high output version, 400 horsepower, 1,000 foot-pounds of torque. Rad, walk us through, man. What's what's new in the six seven? Because we know the displacement's the same, the the setup is is pretty similar uh, to the previous models. But what's been upgraded? Yeah. So I guess how you state it, I would state it just it would reverse it a little bit. Everything from the high output flows into the standard output. Oh, okay. Um, yep. So it started with the CGI block, which is you know by volume seventy five percent stronger per mass. It's also quieter and it's also lighter. Uh, the crankshaft connecting rods there was already high strength alloy in those we went to higher strengths working with cummins uh, there's improved cooling improved strength in the head the fuel system was upgraded for higher pressure and for you know more 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 delivery as required can the you tell us ECM, what the um, operating pressure is on the injection system sorry to interrupt uh, you Rod. 29 29 bar we are at 29 bar okay wow oh, yeah. awesome Sorry about and that. that is with a CP4 pump. CP4, yeah. Uh, it's actually an RP4 pump, which is, I think the base family is a CP4, but it's like a CP4.2 or whatever. So it's not the uh, not the traditional CP4, which originally came out. So more reliable. Can, can we all just say that? Just We're, we're going to hit the nail on the head with it. We're all just right. looking and like what to say, what not to say here. <laughs> I'll, like, I'll be the bad guy, yeah. We all know the horrors <laughs> of the CP4 originally. Um, yeah. 
And that came with a new set of injectors as well, correct? Right. It was new injectors. So the whole fuel system, the high-pressure pump, the injectors, the lines, the rail, that was all new. Uh, the turbo is the turbo is new, uh, but primarily the differences in the turbo are on the compressor side and the housing. So the impellers for both the turbo and the compressor side are the same. Um, all the bushings, the actuators, all that stuff is still the same. Okay. But it does have additional... <clears throat> the capability for additional boost, so up to 33 pounds boost uh, with the new turbo. Nice. Um, there was also, you know, weight reduction was important, so anything that was like non-structural, you know, water pump, brackets, water outlets, water inlets, those went to aluminum. Nice. Um, just for weight reduction. Also, you know, NVH, as we talked a little bit about earlier, was important. So we've gone away from the old mechanical tappets and gone to a hydraulic roller. Oh wow! So, you don't you don't have to go in at a hundred thousand anymore and adjust the <laughs> the, the tappets. Plus, you kind of lose that uh, the traditional tick tick you know that came along with the, yeah. with the solids. Yep, typical Cummins uh, fashion. NVH, yeah, there's NVH improvements as well in the gear drive. We've added uh, scissor gears, which basically helps take up the lash and cut back on some of the gear noise. So. It was, you know, capability. Um, efficiency was also important as well. So, you know, on average, you know, for highway, anybody that's got a, you know, 2500 or 3500 now, they're looking at about a 10% improvement in fuel economy uh, if they get a, you know, truck similar to what they have now. That's huge. So yeah. Now, yeah, one of the interesting <laughs> things that we always notice on the Rams is that on the 15, 16, 14, you know, the earlier models, the 342 gear always put those trucks ahead of the Ford and Chevy equivalent in mileage. Yeah. Uh, just if we were on a road trip together, the Ram would always get the best mileage. And it, we always figured it was the 342 gear, I should say, because they always yeah. seem to run, you know, they, they shift up quickly, they get through the gears quickly, especially unloaded. They run very low, medi- or mean RPM, you know, 1,100, 1,200 RPM sometimes. I see the 342 gear option is gone. Yeah, we went with the 373. Um, basically, some of that was just consolidating the gears, you know, 373 and 410. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, part of that is based on the, the capability requirements, you know, meeting J2807, and those two gear options seem to be the best um, for both fuel economy um, and performance. Okay. And you also, you know, with the 373, there's a little improvement in city fuel economy over the 342. <laughs> so that was important for us as well. And those, those two gears seem to be the best offering for to get the best performance and economy. Sure, sure. And I think, I mean, speaking for the aftermarket guys, the number of them putting 35-inch tires Ooh, or anyway. larger on their trucks are going to appreciate <laughs> having yeah. a little taller gear. <laughs> You know, in Arkansas, it's standard. When you get plates, they have to check to make sure you have 35s or larger. That's what they, they told right. No, Jesus. <laughs> hey, uh, next up on my list is transmission. Yeah. Nick, I know this is one you and I talked about before the show. Um, the, the ASIN, been in, been in house for a long time. We, we've all played with it, right? We've all mm-hmm. seen it here in the aftermarket. Um, seeing it pushed in the high output version, I, I was pretty impressed by. I, I thought that hearing about some of the upgrades or some of the updates to the transmissions might be pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, both the the goal was to improve the transmissions both from a capability standpoint and just an overall refinement and quality standpoint. So, you know, the the capability, a lot of that is not simple, but it's hardware, right? So it's upgrades, it's higher strength alloys, it's thicker plates, things like that. But yeah. the, the refinement, you know, that's a lot of that's in the controls, um, 
And one of the things, you know, with the engine, I don't know if I mentioned, but the the engine controller now is a dual-core processor, which wouldn't seem like a big deal, but what that allows is faster communication back and forth between the engine and the trans. So we can execute shifts um, more quickly, uh, more precisely, and combine that with some, some hardware refinements as well. It gives us a lot better shifts. It gives us shifts uh, more timely when we want them. <laughs> but then also still provides the capability to, to hit the numbers that we're at. Okay. On the 68, is the is the PCM still responsible for the for the engine and the transmission control? Um, pardon me? On the 68 RFE trucks, is the is the is there still a PCM, or is it, is it split up into an engine controller and a trans controller? Yeah, this, the 68 RFE runs through the engine controller. Okay. So, yeah, the controls are still in there. Okay. And then the ASIN... Yeah, the Eisen is a, has a standalone uh, okay. PCM or trans control module. <clears throat> Would you? It, it, trying to think, I'm trying to think how to phrase a question as far as as far as usability. You know what I mean? It's yes, the, uh, clearly the capability is there on a stock truck with an Eisen, right? Can I can I get an Eisen in a 2500 tradesman standard output model? No, no. The the Eisen is 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 coupled with the high output. You have to have the, the high 3500. output. Have to have the high output. Can can I ask what what was the major decision to kind of split that up then to say that you know this is the one to go with if you're going to have the high output? You know, a lot of the the focus the 2500 customer there's a lot more focus on efficiency and fuel economy along with you know still having the capability. Okay. With 37850, uh, it's still extremely capable. Uh, performance is there, the capability is there, and the 1,000-pound the feet in the ASIN really up into the 3,500 is that next level of performance capability. So you could have it in the 2,500, but with, you know, 2,500 in the payload and the trailer and traction, you really, other than saying you've got it, you probably wouldn't be able to yeah. utilize it. Yeah, no, I think that, that makes sense. You know, we've sense. been kind of conditioned for a while uh, from the OEMs to, to picture, you know, the same powertrain in the 2500 and the 3500, you mm-hmm. just get more bed capacity in the 3500, you right. get more, you know, higher spring rate. Right. But now, you know, now RAM is actually separating, like this is more, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the capability is higher in the 3500, both in the powertrain and, hmm. you know, and the usage. I love it. Parking lot cruisers beware. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I saw the transfer case, the and the drive shafts also updated in this model. Can uh, was was that again noise reduction? Was that efficiency? What was the motivation there to start getting into those? Because I don't think that's ever been known as a weak point in a RAM that, that I can remember. <clears throat> no, but when you when you put a thousand thousand foot pounds, um, right? You've got to get upgrade the hardware. So in those cases, the a lot of the the T case upgrades were because of the torque input upgrades and then the increased GCW. So and then with the bigger with the bigger T cases, they were more capable, right? Bigger spline sizes and such. So it just drove into to the bigger drive shafts and and then in the high output max tow version, then the the larger 12 inch AM axle in the rear. So you kind of like you, you you know if you make things bigger and better up front, it just everything right. blows to the rear. So on this transfer case, is this uh, is this a model that we'd be familiar with? In the in the aftermarket, I mean, is this a something that's been designed specifically for the RAM in this application? It was, it, yeah, no, it was specifically for the RAM um, for the for the thousand pound feet application. Oh. It's actually a Ford Warner forty four eighty eight. There's a couple different versions between electric and okay in the manual, but okay. <laughs> that's awesome. One other thing I noticed while we're on transmissions, no more manual. Um, 
not a big deal to me because God knows <laughs> I don't actually want to shift the truck every time I drive it. Um, Chris, what, what were your thoughts on that? I mean, uh, you haven't owned a manual in five years either. Correct though, me huh? if I'm wrong, but I mean, Ram was the only company out of the big three up until 2018. I mean, the, the last five, six years, Ford and Chevy haven't offered that, correct? I mean, GM dropped we it in 07. Yeah, we 07. Yeah. And Ford, 08, 09, at the 6.4, there was a handful of trucks. Yeah. So what was the reasoning behind that? For us keeping it for as long as we did, or for for no longer off. I think both. Yeah, curious to hear both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know what was the what was the mindset to keep it? <laughs> well, I, I drove manual transmissions up until the last five years. I loved them. I was a proponent of them. Um, at the time, with the ratings that the manual had, it was still still very capable. Right? It was uh, the customers were asking for it, so we continued to offer it. But as time has gone on, it is automatics have gotten better. Uh, the level of integration and the tow, trailer tow modes and how well the automatics work. Um, a lot of people have said, wow, that, why would I shift when the truck can do it for me? So there's been a steady decrease in the, in the take rates on manual transmissions um, to the point where it's such a low percentage now that uh, it, it really, there was no business case there. Um, to spend the money to build up a brand new gearbox and to get the ratings up and to get the capability up on the manual, it's just for the for the so few that we were selling, it really just didn't make sense anymore. So you saw the sales diminish over years with the manual trans, essentially, correct? Oh yeah, I mean back in the day, manual transes were almost fifty percent of the market. Everybody drove them. Um, but, you know that was twenty some years ago, but. As it's come down, the percentage has gone down to, you know, it was 10 or 14%, then 10%, then 7%. Wow. Less than 5%. Okay, like, so okay. 17 was less than 5%. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what, why is it that those guys still make so much noise on the internet? We know there's so few of you out there. Please shut Stop. up. Stop. <laughs> we don't care about your six-speed manual. Um, oh. Hey, man, th these trucks are built for towing, and, and that's something that I saw as a theme as I went through everything reviewing this. Obviously, you know, hey, we're big gearheads and want to go fast, but a lot, most people uh, buy these trucks for some practical applications. Gooseneck system? Uh, Nick, did you check this out at all? Yeah, I saw it's all uh, integrated and built in. I I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, I might finally be able to back up to a gooseneck without somebody out there <laughs> screaming and yelling at me to stop or go. Rod, don't listen to Paul. He is so lying. <laughs> I, I am... <laughs> I go forward. Reverse <laughs> yeah, isn't my thing. Yeah, until there's an automatic driving, fully automated, backing up to the gooseneck. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> I submitted a request to Rod. Um, uh, I thought some of the other cool stuff here. So, like, you guys really broke down being in a situation where you're towing. There's LED lights on the mirrors, and you can flip the mirrors all the way 90 degrees. So, like, 90-degree angle off the front of your, your driver door. You can actually have a bright-ass spotlight coming out. Like, I've been in so many situations where you're you're just begging for light or holding your yeah. phone up with the flashlight <laughs> on the back trying to find yeah. something. Um, God, the sensors that protect the fenders, yep. Chris. Yeah, that'd that was be only nice. one time. <laughs> uh, but you guys also had to get into things like upgrading the brake system. Uh, so what got touched in in stopping? Yeah, so within the brakes, the foundation brakes are new, right? So the anchors, how we mount them. The caliper, the piston size is it is not that in 2500. It's still three. I'd have to look at the exact numbers, but that didn't change. But the caliper, how we mount them, um, that did. We changed the the master cylinder. We changed the booster. Um, we also even changed the pedal ratio. One of the things that some of the feedback was is 
you know, the ramp, they've got brakes, but man, the pedal's just a little bit, it just, you know, so we got customer feedback that the customers didn't like it. So okay. changing the pedal ratio so that you don't have to push as hard okay. uh, seemed to be the right thing to do um, to get a good pedal feel out of it. On the max toe, we did increase the rotor size in the rear up to 365 millimeters. And we also increased the park brake size in the rear. Um, when you've got that much weight, you know, you've got to have a park brake that can hold that. And then that, of course, drove the bolt circle is now larger on the, on the dualies as well to be able to, to get over the park brake and the axle shafts. So, Question for you, Rod. General, the brake system was just refined for noise and, and overall performance, and we ended up getting an improvement in stopping distance by a few feet, too. Nice. Nice. So when the truck is connected to a trailer, and let's say it has this big 365-millimeter rotor in the back, does the does the biasing system and the proportioning system take advantage of that? Does it realize that it, it can send more stopping power to the rear? Or is, is that a dynamic thing or no? No. You know, the, the when you've got the trailer on, the expectation is, is right that the trailer brakes are there right. to, to, stop, to, to stop the trailer, or at least most of the trailer. So adjusting your trailer brakes is important. Right. Um, and, and with the technology that's in the brake controller, right, it can help vary the trailer brakes a little bit for you, so it helps kind of adjust and tailor that to the speed you're at. Yeah. So that combined with the vehicle brakes and the way they're set up, it kind of gives you the optimized stopping. Okay, okay. It's amazing, man. I <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I started my research on this a little while ago when we first started setting things up, and then I, I went, like I said, went through and did a review this morning on just all of the content, and... I really want to go buy a 2019 Ram. Yeah, it's getting really terrible. Um, no, but hey, Rod, we we thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I had one more question. Oh, I'm sorry, Paul. Nick. Jump in. Come on, Paul. Jump in. I just I had one more question that was just around the emissions controls. Right. We Let's got, do it. We got another 150 foot pounds. Uh, I was just curious if if the canister, if the if there were any changes in the you know in the emission system. I love it. Pardon me, I missed, I missed your question. Around the around the emission system. So, was there any upgrades to the like the canister size, or maybe the NOx, uh, you know, controls or DOC or anything like that? Yeah, architecturally, the emission system is still the same, right? It's still a urea system, um, still DPF SCR. Yep. We did, you know, with the with the engine output changing, we had to make adjustments, but there weren't drastic changes. Um, to the after treatment system at all. Okay. What about the EGR cooler or anything like that? Was that upsized or uh, any changes made on that end or was that still sufficient? Yeah, no, the EGR, I mean, pretty much like a, the the entire after treatment system, although was was there were refinements made and tweaks made and adjustments made. Um, fundamentally, it's carryover. Okay. In that, oh. in that aspect, I, I do think that's a really cool topic to hit on because it's something we deal with in the aftermarket all the time about increasing horsepower with the emissions equipment. Is it possible? And then we love to see when OEMs come out and and especially the big three, you guys in this big truck battle going on over the last ten years or yeah, so. Yeah. It keeps going up, and <laughs> it's like, well, send that message that there's overhead left in these systems, right. and that you know when it's when it's calibrated correctly, yeah, that no, that they can work. It's, pretty, it's been been a cool project it's been fun to work on yeah awesome yeah. man uh rod anything else that you wanted to touch on with our listeners before we let you go no i was just say thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to to give some information out on the new ram so it's a pleasure 
This has been so cool, man. We're going to post your personal cell phone number and email. So if our listeners have any questions, I'm just joking, guys. No, hey, hey, guys, listen, if you have questions, send them on in. Uh, Diesel Performance Podcast. We're on Facebook and every other social media channel. Uh, hit us up. We'd love to talk to you. Chris, any final thoughts for the day? Uh, I'm going to, once we get off of this, I'm going to touch base with Nick and see if I can push him into getting a 19. And We do need a new shop <laughs> yeah, truck. Yeah, we do. I love it. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> no, I really, really appreciate uh, you spending the time with us, Rod, and giving us those uh, clear engineering, scientific, uh, been there, seen that answers. That's really helpful for us and for our listeners, and we appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. Awesome. Guys, well, for today, this has been Paul Wilson. Chris Hemke. And Nick Pregnance. Thanks for listening. The Diesel Performance Podcast is brought to you by Calibrated Power Solutions, home of DuramaxTuner.com. Calibrated Power develops emissions-equipped calibrations for a wide variety of diesel powertrains, including the Duramax, Cummins, PowerStroke, John Deere, Case, New Holland, and many more. For more information and great customer service, check out CalibratedPower.com or call 815-568-7920. That's 815-568-7920. Here's, I, I need a thousand mil radiator up front. At first, I think they thought it was just a bad joke. <laughs> um.